incredible text in the book of Isaiah in which God says through Isaiah, you think that I have turned away, but I never turn away. I'm like your mom, only better. Isaiah 49, the Lord is talking to his servant. And at times it appears that Israel is the Lord's servant, but as you, as you read, you begin to realize that the servant is an individual. And we now know that the servant is uh, Jesus the Christ. Jesus uh, is, is the servant. Um, Isaiah is an utterly uh, amazing book because it will literally just scare the crap out of you. And then it will set you free. Todd is testifying to that. When the crap goes out, you feel free, right? But that's Isaiah. Over and over, Isaiah prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem and all things. And over and over, he prophesies this incredible truth that God will make all things new through his, his uh, servant, who is the Messiah, and in some amazing way, is his people, full circle, which is Jerusalem, which is, which is us. In places, Isaiah talks as if it's already happened, as if the whole earth is already full of the glory of the Lord. But at the time of this prophecy, whether it was in the 8th century B.C., as some people think, or maybe the 6th century B.C., at the time of the prophecy, Jerusalem, also called Zion, is incredibly corrupt. In fact, God calls her a whore. How's that? She's corrupt and is or has been assaulted by all sorts of enemies, including Syria and Assyria, Babylon, and even her own family, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. In other words, Zion has everything, every reason to think that God has turned his back on her. And you may think that you have every reason to believe that God has turned his back on you, including that maybe somewhere deep down inside you realize that you've turned your back on him. Well, this is Isaiah 49, verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion. Racham, it's a variation of the word rachem in Hebrew, which means womb. For the Lord has comforted his people and has a womb of compassion for his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. That is, the Lord has turned his back on me. And now listen to the Lord's response, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord says your walls, Jerusalem, are continually before me. If that's true, it means that the Lord has never turned his back on Jerusalem. And if she thinks that he has, it must be her that has turned her back 
on him. The Lord says, behold, look, look, Jerusalem, look at the palms of my hands. I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. The word translated grave, engraved means, uh, means to literally like inscribe law in, into stone or maybe cut uh, like a nail driven into flesh. Look, I'm continually outside your gates with you engraved in the palms of my hands. It's quite a picture. Does God have hands? My wife had this uh, incredible vision in worship years ago of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sitting together, joined at the hands facing each other. And she said, Peter, I looked and all the hands were joined by one nail driven through the palms. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold my hands. Crazy, huh? But for right now, focus on this amazing statement in verse 15. When reaching for the supreme example of love, the Lord says, can a mom forget her nursing baby? Yeah, some might, but I'm even better than your mom. I think we all know that a mother's love is exceptional. It's even categorically different from all other types of, of love. A mom, especially a Jewish mom, <laughs> thinks that her baby is the best baby in the entire world, simply due to the fact that, that it exists. And by the way, that's how we know that Jesus was Jewish. He thought his mom was a virgin, and she thought he was like the son of God. <laughs> Seriously, though, a mom already knows her baby when the baby's born. And she already knows something about her baby that few other people can know or, or seem to know or I guess forget if at some point we, we do know. My son John is very handsome and intelligent. He's a wonderful young man. But when he was first born, he looked like a booger. He, he really did. He looked like a booger. My wife had gone through this just incredible, horrific 24-hour period of, of labor. I, I told myself, I've told you this, but I actually told myself. I remember saying, Peter, you better like this baby because this is the last one you're ever going to get. There's no way she'll want another. By the time he was born, I was utterly traumatized, and Jonathan looked like a little bloody booger. And I remember the doctor held him up. And my wife just took this huge gasp of air after all this trauma, and she cried out, he's beautiful. And then she said, I want another one. It was one of the strangest experiences of my life. I thought something's going on here that, that I just don't get. It took me a little while to connect, but Susan already knew this baby's a miracle. Susan knew, I, I will love you forever. I will like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you will be. Susan knew, and she couldn't turn away. That's my point. Now, she would get very angry and even hide her face from Jonathan at times. I mean, she ground him and send him to his room, and yet her heart was always broken and continually turned toward his bedroom door. 
always facing his walls. When she punished the kids, she always bore the pain of the discipline, as if that punished little child were actually like bone of her bones and flesh of her flesh, her very own body. And from the start she knew, no matter what this baby does, it will always be a miracle and worth everything, including my life, for it is my life, thought my wife. Remember Jimmy Carter? You heard of him? He had a brother named Billy. Do you remember Billy? Billy Beer. Yep, exactly right. Jimmy uh, was known or is known for being a philanthropist and the president of the United States of America. His little brother Billy is known for Billy Beer and owning a gas station and once urinating on a runway in full view of dignitaries and the international press. On Inauguration Day, as uh, Jimmy was being prepared to take the oath of office, a reporter found his mother, Lillian, and she asked Lillian this question. She said, are you proud of your son? And in all sincerity, Lillian looked at the reporter and said, which one? She's proud of both. On Friday, my son Coleman graduated summa cum laude from the University of Colorado with a degree in geology. But I don't think Susan's opinion of Coleman changed one bit from the day he got busted for smoking pot at Bear Creek High School and we really wondered if he'd ever graduate at all. <laughs> if anything, her love for him burned brighter on, on that day than it did last Friday. He may have felt her love as wrath, but it was love. It was love that would not turn away. I remember a pastor friend telling me about a mom in his church in Argentina. Every day she would visit her son in, in prison, bringing warm biscuits and a warm meal because her son didn't like the food that was served in the prison. He was there because he had murdered his mother's parents, his grandparents, for drug money, and she couldn't turn away. And God says, even if these forget, I will not forget you. Several years ago, Susan came home from work visibly shaking. She told me that on the way driving home, she had come across this horrid accident. A man's body had been thrown from the car and it was lying there in the street. Cars were trying to get around the wreck and the body on their way home. People were honking, people were yelling, angry commuters because their day had been inconvenienced by this wreck and the, this man. She said, I was watching this, Peter, and all of a sudden this woman, she like jumped out of her car and she ran to the man in the road and she threw a, a blanket or a coat or something over him, and then she stood over the body, she turned around, and she started yelling at other, all the other cars. She started yelling, he was somebody's baby! He was somebody's baby! He was somebody's baby! I think all Christian ethics can be summed up in that statement. He was somebody's baby. He was God's baby. She is God's baby. You are God's baby. A baby is a person with no resume. 
A baby is a spirit without much dust. A, a breath without much clay. A baby is a soul without much accumulated flesh. In, in the language of George Herbert Mead, uh, this helps me to think about it this, this way. A baby is an I without much me. I exist now. I didn't create I. I exist now and I observe me. But I can't observe I. For as soon as I observe I, I has become me. I am not simply an object in this world. I am a miracle. I remember riding the school bus in the late 60s, staring at my tennis shoes, which Francis made fun of today because they have grass on them. Sorry, but it's, I'm supposed to mow the lawn for the mother, right? But anyway, I remember riding, I remember riding the bus, staring at my tennis shoes on the corrugated metal floors of the bus, right, right as we passed the old cottonwood tree on Ridge Road in Littleton, uh, Littleton, Colorado. I remember staring at my tennis shoes and thinking, I am. And I don't know what I will be. But I always want to remember that I am now. You see, that I is still I. Even though I have accumulated and manufactured a very different me. Well, my mom knew that I. <laughs> from before the day that I was born and began to work on manufacturing this incredible me and then getting all insecure about me and trying to fix me and justify me and save me and redeem me. A few weeks ago, my friend Bob Hudson, he led me through this meditation exercise in my office after we had lunch. I simply sat in a chair and I tried not to think about stuff and me, but you know, just to simply be. Uh, when I would begin analyzing or judging or, or worrying, I was to say something like this in my head. I was to say this little like prayer to God, uh, have mercy, and then try to picture my thoughts like placed in a boat that would then just drift down this, this river. Actually, what I pictured was a roller coaster. When it was over, Bob said, so Pete, what, what do you think? And I said, you know, it's weird, but... I feel happy because I just, I, I realize that I am not me. Me is fine, but I am, am not me. Me was the roller coaster that I had been riding, but I could float above the roller coaster and, and, and know I could commune with the unchanging love of, of God. When the contemplative prayer time was over and Bob told me that it was time to stop, I remember I pictured myself dropping back down into that roller coaster. I was riding the very same roller coaster, but now I was laughing. Well, that was several weeks ago. Last week, we had just returned from our trip to Chile, 
And so I hadn't been working on the church or on me for a while, but now I had to start working on all those things. Tuesday morning, I returned to work, and I remember I was just so filled with fear. I finally just went down, and I, I found Susan. I said, honey, you've got to pray for me. Would you please just pray for me? I want you to help me ask Jesus this question. This is the question. Why am I so afraid? I mean, I know I need faith, but what, Jesus, can you help me with the details? Why am I just so afraid? After a time, Susan said, I think I just heard the Lord say, stop. Stop trying to fix yourself. I love you just the way you are. Now, if I believe that, okay, because it scares me to believe that, if I believe that, doesn't mean that me, myself, will never change. No. It means that God's love for me is not dependent on me changing myself. But any real change in me is dependent on the knowledge of God's unchanging love for me. I and me. God made up his mind about me long before he even created space and time. So does it mean that myself will never change? No. Actually, just the opposite. A reporter once asked the world champion diver Greg Luganis how he coped with the stress, you know, of an international diving competition. And Luganis explained that he climbs up the board, he takes a deep breath, and then he says to himself, even if I blow this dive, mom will still love me. <laughs> not when he thinks, if I blow it, she may not love me. She, she may change. Uh, that's not, that's not uh, when he has the best chance of, of uh, making the dive. I, I mean, it's interesting to me that at that point, of all the people in the world, Greg Luganis is least likely to blow the dive. Not when he thinks, if I blow it, she may not love me, she may change, but when he thinks, no matter what, she will love me. Mom won't change. She loves me just the way I am. And then he wins Olympic gold. It's also interesting to note that Greg Luganis was adopted. So if you're sad that you can't be a mom, maybe you can be a mom. Actually, maybe you are a mom. Jesus said this, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother. So I think your best shot at doing the will of God is waking up in the morning, taking a deep breath, and then saying to yourself, even if I blow this life, God will still love me. God's like your mom, only better. You know, I actually feel rather ambivalent about Mother's Day. It's not a biblical holiday. You realize that it's a Hallmark holiday. And if you like it, that, that's fine. But I know many women that, that don't like it, they hate it. Some because they perhaps think they have a terrible mother, or some because they think that they are a terrible mother. They feel like a terrible mother. Some because they want to be a mother, but they are a barren, or they feel barren, all because they can't fix themselves and make themselves a perfectly good mother. 
The truth is that at some point, all mothers forget and even turn away. And that's why the Lord says, even if these forget, I will not forget you. I love this. Angie sent this to me this week. Am I a good mother, Susan? My name's Amy. <laughs> you know, Jerusalem was a bad mother. Isaiah 121, how the faithful city has become a whore. Isaiah 3, the Lord reveals that she cares more about fine clothes and ornaments than the poor and the needy that he refers to as children. So you get the picture. The Lord is talking to a woman who's having a hard time being a mother, and he says, look, I won't forget you. I will not turn away from you. Jerusalem was a bad mother. Maybe not even a mother, but, but, but barren or bereaved. Uh, and she even blames the Lord. Check this out. This is Isaiah 26, 17. Like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her birth pangs when she is near giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord, says Jerusalem. We were pregnant. We writhed, but we have given birth to wind. Picture that. Isn't that a lovely text for Mother's Day? I love the Bible. We labored and only gave birth to wind. We passed wind. That was the result of all that labor. I don't know about you moms, but that's how I feel most of the time. Verse 18, we were pregnant, we rot, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. Jerusalem is called to give birth to deliverance for all humanity. Deliverance is this Hebrew word, Yeshua. It's also translated salvation. And Yeshua is also a name that should sound vaguely familiar. In English, it's pronounced Jesus. We labored and we accomplished no Jesus. Isaiah 33, 11, the Lord says, Yah, you conceive chaff. You give birth to stubble. And I suppose that's true. When you try to, to fix yourself or when you try to fix your kids or your neighbors with some new bit of knowledge that you picked up at some seminar, doesn't it feel like you just kind of give birth to chaff and stubble? But not life. You yourself conceive chaff and give birth to stubble. You yourself give birth to imitation life, but not real life. You yourself give birth to the false Yeshua, but not the real Yeshua. You yourself give birth to fake fruit, but not real love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and the will of God. You yourself cannot impregnate yourself. And I think that's the real reason that most people hate Mother's Day. You cannot impregnate yourself no matter how hard you try. Isaiah 33, 11, you conceive chaff, you give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you, says the Lord. What a statement. What a weird thing to say. Your breath 
ruach will consume your stubble, as if your very spirit will consume your flesh. Your I will just burn up your me and somehow set you free. But whatever the case, he does say, we conceive chaff and we give birth to stubble. That, that's, that's true, and all of us are like a lousy mother, but this must also be true. This is our text now, okay? Isaiah 49, 14. Isaiah said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. This is, this is what Zion says. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, look, it's a commandment. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Next verse, your builders, literally your children, make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Jerome, who first translated the Bible into Latin in the fifth century AD, translates it this way. Your children who destroyed you haste to build you. Verse 18, lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They all come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, he's swearing. You shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride drive does. You will be dressed in good-looking children, says the Lord. Verse 19, surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too small for all your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement. What a phrase. Listen to that. The children of your bereavement. You know, right after Jerusalem cries out, we have given birth to wind, which by the way is ruach in Hebrew, also translated spirit or breath. Right after that, God says, your dead will live. The earth will give birth to the dead. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Amazing, as if your chaff will be consumed and you will be a holy fire bound with holy fire. Well, you can chew on that later, but look at verse 20. The children of your bereavement. Literally, the children of your childlessness. The children of your barrenness, the children of your bereavement, these children will yet say in your ears, yet say, are you listening to this, all you women who think you're barren? Are you listening to this, all of you who have lost children? And those of you who have aborted children, and those of you with children that now despise you, and those of you who feel like you've labored and la guys labored and labored and labored, but only for wind, and all you pastors and counselors and caregivers and small group leaders and small, uh, nice, kind Christian people who feel like you've loved and only lost love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith upon people who never even said thanks or never noticed. Are you listening to this bride of Christ? Called to preach the gospel to the nations. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too small for me. Make room for me to dwell in. We need a much bigger house, mom. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From whence have all these come? You will say, where have all these wonderful children come from? 
So you're getting this incredible picture, Bride of Christ? There's so much here, but at least get this. You are Jerusalem. And the Lord says, I love you. And you say, you've forsaken me. You've turned away from me. But the Lord says, look. Look, behold, I am right outside your gate. Your walls are continually before me. You have turned away, but I have never turned away. I am even speaking your deepest fear on your behalf. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And look, 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 I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. See my hands. Put your finger in my side and believe. Well, hopefully you remember that Jesus was crucified just outside the city gate of Jerusalem. And I bet they nailed him to the cross so that he was facing the walls so that the entire city could see. And hopefully you remember that we are the city who is the bride and he is the promised seed. Revelation 13, 8, he is slain from the foundation of the world. That means he has never turned away. We have turned away. And our gates have been shut. What a picture. And so what does it mean? Well, number one, you need to look. You need to look and behold your Lord. You need to look and see his word to you in flesh facing your walls. You need to see what he is saying. I will love you forever. I will like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you will be. And if you take my life, I have already given my life. And I will rise in you. I am life. And if you turn away, I will always be facing the closed door of your heart. Number two, you need to look, for if you don't behold love, you will not be able to love. You cannot be a good mother until you allow God to mother you. You cannot love unconditionally until you believe that you are unconditionally loved. You cannot give birth to life until you allow life to impregnate you. You cannot do one good thing until the one who is good does you. Ah, sorry if that sounded crass. But you see, that is where babies come from. That's where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control come. That's where fruit comes from. That's where the life of Yeshua in this world comes from. That's where the new and eternal you comes from. Not from seizing control, but surrendering control to unconditional, unchanging, relentless, and eternal love that is your Lord. Love is a fire. It will burn away your false self and set your true self free. And so hopefully, you do. You take time each day to behold the love that God has for you. And you can do that in a million different ways. But hopefully, you take time just to sit and, and behold his love. Whether you're the President of the United States or his little brother who pees on the runway. See, he loves you either way. And the knowledge of his unconditional love sets you free. The Lord is love. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. 
Of course love is unconditional. God is love. All conditions are based upon him. So every day, behold what manner of love the Lord is and has for you. Then open the gate and let him in. Pray and invite him into every moment. That's where babies come from. That's where life comes from. Number three, you need to look and you will look for the Lord is not only hanging on a tree outside your city walls, he has found his way into your heart and he is giving you a new desire. Number three, you need to look and you will look for he has given you the desire to look and never turn away. Isaiah seven fourteen. listen to this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it's got to mean at least this. It, it, it means that the seed got in before the virgin ever opened the gate or any man ever opened the gate. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. For years, I've been wonderfully haunted by something Walter Wangren wrote. This is a greatly abbreviated version, but hopefully you'll get the picture. It's called An Advent Monologue, and I'll end with this. And so if you want, just close your eyes and listen to the voice. I love a child, but she is afraid of me. I want to help this child so terribly in need of help. She's lonely all the day long. She sits in a chair with her back to the door, her knees tucked tightly against her breasts, her arms around these, her head down. She's hiding. I love the child, but she is afraid of me. Then how can I come to her to feed her and to heal her by my love? Knock on the door, enter the common way? No. She holds her breath at a gentle tap, pretending that she is not home. And should I break down the door? Or should I show my face at the window? Oh, what terrors I would cause then. These have happened before. She's suffered the rapings of kindless men, and therefore she hangs her head. I am none of these, to be sure. But if I came the way that they have come, she would not know me different. She would not receive my love, but might likely die of a failed heart. I have called from the hall. I've sung her name through cracks in the plaster. But I have a bright trumpet of a voice, and she covers her ears and weeps. She thinks each word an accusation. I could, of course, ignore the doors and walls and windows, simply appearing before her as I am. I have that capability, but she hasn't the strength to see it, and she would die. She is, you see, her own deepest hiding place, and fear and death are the truest doors against me. Then what is left? How can I come to my beloved? Where's the entrance that will not frighten nor kill her? By what door can love arrive after all, truly to nurture her, to take the loneliness away, to make her beautiful, as, well, as lovely as my moon at night, my sun come morning?
I know what I will do. I'll make the woman herself my door and by her body enter into her life. Oh, I like that. I like that. However could she be afraid of her own flesh, of something lowly underneath her ribs, I'll be the baby waking in her womb. Hush. She'll have the time this way to know my coming first before I come. Time to get ready to touch her tummy, touching the promise alone as if it were, as if, as, as it were the promise. When she hangs her head, she shall be looking at me, thinking of me, loving me while I gather in the deepest places of her being. It's an excellent plan. Hush. And then, when I come, my voice shall be so dear to her it shall call the tenderness out of her soul and loveliness into her face. And when I take milk at her breast, she'll sigh and sing another song, another song, a sweet magnificat, for she shall feel important then. And then what of her loneliness? Gone, gone in the bond between us, though I shall have not yet said a word. And for my sake she shall wash her face, for she shall have a reason then. And the sins that she suffered, the hurts at the hands of men, shall be transfigured by my being. I make good come out of evil. I am the good come out of evil. I am her Lord who loves this woman. And for a while I'll let her mother me but then I'll grow, and I will take my trumpet voice again, which once would kill her, and I'll take her, too, into my arms, and out of that little room, that filthy tenement, I will bear my mother, my child, alive forever. I love a child, but she will not fear me for long now. Look, look, it is almost happening. I'm doing a new thing, and don't you perceive it? I am coming among you a baby, and my name shall be Emmanuel. Well, it's Mother's Day, and you see, all you mothers, you already know his voice. It rises in you whenever you feel love for your child. It's Mother's Day, and anyone, anyone that loves is the mother of Jesus, and anyone that longs for love knows his voice. And so look. He's facing you right outside your city gates. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. He took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant. It's a marriage covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. And so look. I know you're afraid. I know you feel ashamed. I know you feel unworthy. But look. And pray. Pray these words with me if you would. Just pray them after me silent in your, silently in your heart, all right? Close your eyes and pray these words. Thank you, my Lord, that you love me just as I am. 
Thank you, my Lord, that I cannot make you love me any more than you do right now. And thank you, my Lord, that I cannot make you love me any less than you love me right now. Thank you, my Lord, for looking at me right now the way a mother looks at the baby nursing in her arms. Thank you that you always face my walls and and have, have, have engraved me into the palms of your hands. You are my Lord, and by your grace, I open my gates and I let you in. And so tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, open the gate, and let him in.